Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello, everyone. This is Lesson 13, so the last lesson in the third quarter of 2022. It is titled Christ in the Crucible, and it's from the quarterly In the Crucible with Christ. It's for Sabbath, September 24. So this is the last and final lesson. This is the culmination, I guess, and maybe it should have been the first one. Maybe this is the most important. If you have a title of In the Crucible with Christ, what is Christ's Crucible? Well, let's find out. The lesson study starts off by painting Jesus as this sinless, perfect child that was just struggling from the very minute he was born because he was born into poverty and he suffered as a baby because Herod was after him. Because as you recall, Herod sent a decree to kill all the babies two years and younger. Well, I think we should be careful about pointing to how much Jesus had to suffer as a baby and a child, because you have to look at it in context. Jesus was not the one suffering significantly as a baby. I mean, there were babies being killed by Herod, all the babies, all the male babies two years and younger. What about their suffering? What about their parents? What about their relatives? What about the people who were killing them? Did they have some kind of trauma from that? We cannot look to Jesus as being the one that was suffering in that whole ordeal. There was a lot more suffering going on. And then we have Jesus suffering as a child. But when you think about purity in among all the evil that's around, that's just been going on forever. Think about Noah. Things were so bad that the Lord had to destroy all the animals. Even the animals were corrupted, probably genetic disruptions and everything. And, and there was Noah and his family, and then those animal pairs that he took. Talk about trauma, talk about corruption around, what about Lot? What, what about Samuel as a young baby, just, just weaned from his mother, going in with Eli and Eli's sons and that whole mess? So there's a lot of suffering that's gone on. So I don't think it's really helpful to look at Jesus and possibly what he might have suffered as a child. In fact, Ellen White paints a real different picture of Jesus, not as not a, with obsessing with the evil around him or you know being burdened by it, but but with the beauty. He was obsessing with the beauty around him. I just want to read this in Desire of Ages, starting at page sixty-eight. It said the child Jesus did not receive instruction in the synagogue schools. His mother was his first human teacher. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. The very words which he himself had spoken to Moses for Israel, he was now taught at his mother's knee. As he advanced from childhood to youth, he did not seek the schools of the rabbis. He needed not the education to be obtained from such sources, but God was his instructor. And the question asked during the Savior's ministry, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? It doesn't indicate that he wasn't able to read, but merely that he had not received a rabbinical education. And since he gained knowledge as we may do, his intimate acquaintance with the scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word and spread out before him was the great library of God's created works. That would be nature. He who had made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in earth and sea and sky. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of one purpose, 
He lived to bless others, and for this he found resources in nature. New ideas of ways and means flashed into his mind as he studied plant life and animal life. Continually he was seeking to draw from things seen illustrations by which to present the living oracles of God. The parables by which, during his ministry, he loved to teach his lessons of truth show how open his spirit was to the influence of nature and how he had gathered the spiritual teachings from the surroundings of his daily life. Thus, to Jesus, the significance of the word and the works of God was unfolded as he was trying to understand the reasons of things. Heavenly beings were his attendants, and the culture of holy thoughts and communings was his. From the first drawing of diligence, he was constantly growing in spiritual grace and knowledge of truth. And this is something as nice as it sounds that she says that every child can have. And I I would say every adult too. She goes on to say, every child may gain knowledge as Jesus did. As we try to become acquainted with our heavenly father through his word, angels will draw near. Our minds will be strengthened. Our characters will be elevated and refined. And we shall become more like our savior. And as we behold the beautiful and grand in nature, our affections go out after God. So you see, we've been focusing this quarter on the negative, on the crucible and all these things, but really the secret to overcoming is to look at the beautiful and commune with God. She says communion with God through prayer develops the mental and moral faculties and the spiritual powers strengthen us as we cultivate thoughts upon spiritual things. This is what can strengthen us to endure any type of crucible, however it's caused and by whatever means, when we have that kind of a mindset. Now, it is true that Ellen White says that Jesus wasn't terribly rich. It says the parents of Jesus were poor and dependent upon their daily toil. He was familiar with poverty, self-denial, and privation. This experience was a safeguard to him. In his industrious life, there were no idle moments to invite temptation. And so she goes on to say how these were things that were actually good for him. That's also something that we should think about is that when we consider life's challenges and problems and everything, maybe these are really a blessing. God can use things and turn them into blessings, but sometimes what we think of as hardships can actually be blessings and are actually blessings in the grand scheme of things. So it's just something to keep in mind. Now, she also states that Jesus, although he might not have been suffering as all the evil around him, because I don't think he was obsessing with that, but there was temptation. And she also states, um, Desire of Ages, this is just a little further in page 72, says, Satan was unwearied in his efforts to overcome the child of Nazareth. From his earliest years, Jesus was guarded by heavenly angels. That sounds good. That sounds like that's a nice thing. But then it says, yet his life was one long struggle against the powers of darkness. That there should be upon the earth one life free from the defilement of evil was an offense and a perplexity to the prince of darkness. He left no means untried to ensnare Jesus. No child of humanity will ever be called to live a holy life amid so fierce a conflict with temptation as was our Savior. Sometimes our battles are not so much with the things we can see, but with the struggles against our own self. So we should really ask ourselves, are we concerned with all external things like our health, our wealth, our work, or our happiness? Are we striving after that or or fretting that we don't have it or our happiness has been abrupted by some events that have happened or something? Are we obsessing with these external things 
Or are we looking for the internal struggles? That's where Jesus' struggles were. They were internally, our spiritual health, our faith, our integrity, our relationship with God, and our salvation. Are we worried about our salvation? Are we sitting there fretting about our salvation or how much money we're spending to put gas in our car? What are the really important things that we should be fretting about? So that too, I think, will help put in perspective what are really crucibles. Our crucible is really if we could see ourselves, and we can see our filthy rag, as Daniel put it, and when we see that, and that's the that should be the burden. That should be the crucible that we feel. That should be the pain as we strive to get closer to God and shed all this bad that's around us, that's, that Satan's tempting us with. That should be our struggle. That should be the real crucible. The, the hardships of life are, I'm not saying that they don't exist and that they don't cause us problems, but we shouldn't let them stress us to such an extent that we're, that we're taken away from worrying about the real important things because this life is not the final destination. And so if we're so involved with the problems of this life that we can't see the final destination and we miss out on that, then that would be sad indeed. Now, the lesson study also talks about Jesus's suffering, you know, the physical and emotional torture what he was suffering emotionally in Gethsemane. I mean, he was sweating drops of blood. And then physically, his physical suffering at the cross. But here again, when we start talking about that, there's other people who have suffered. There's other people who have been under such emotional stress that they've sweat drops of blood. There's been other people that have been tortured in the worst possible ways. And, And our bodies, fortunately, have limits. They have limits to how much physical torture they can take. You know, the nerves can only take so many impulses and then they kind of shut down. As soon as we have trauma to the body, we go in shock and it deadens a lot of our nerves. And there's limits to our emotional torture too. We can only handle so much. So I think Jesus being in a man's body, I think he had these limits too. So I think we should be careful to, to focus on these. When we play up these elements of human suffering, we could always find possibly worse cases throughout history, it's not so much that Jesus suffered these physical and emotional ailments, that that's the real cost that God has borne to, to give us a chance at eternal life. I mean, God has experienced all the sufferings of every man, every woman who's lost her baby, every father who's lost a son and a daughter, all these pains that people have have felt and they've lived with their whole life, God is feeling all these and he's feeling them for everybody and he's feeling them throughout time, throughout all these thousands of years. So anything that was happening in Jesus's life, his short life, it it just pales in comparison to that. So that's why I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but I'm saying we should be careful to not to focus on that aspect of, of his suffering because there's just there's a lot of things that that have happened to people throughout time that have been worse. So what we really need to understand is the, his atonement. And if we can look at, get a glimpse of Jesus acting as our high priest, I think this can help us understand. And we can understand how he coped with his life and the humiliation and the things that he went through. Sure, we can look to him 
we can also gain strength to help us to cope through our challenges. Now, I want to read in Isaiah, and I would encourage you just maybe in Sabbath afternoon sometime or, or sometimes to read Isaiah 51 through 66. These chapters are talking about a beautiful time, a beautiful place, and there's a lot in this. I'm just going to go through some of it because I think it'll help us to understand maybe what was in Christ's mind. I think that he probably did get pictures just like Moses got pictures of the promised land and Stephen had pictures of heaven opening up and seeing Christ at the right hand of God. I think these things gave these men strength and hope and it can give us hope as well. So I want to read in Isaiah 51, starting in verse 4, because God is going to send his arm. He's, his salvation is going to come, and he's saying that we don't have to worry about people who put us down, and we don't have to worry about this. Isaiah 51, starting in verse 4, Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light of the people's. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. You know, Christ is going to sit as a high priest, and he's going to sit as a king, and he's going he's gonna to judge. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. This life is going to go this direction. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. That's what's going to be standing. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. This is what we need to keep in mind when it looks like the wicked is prospering and, and we're going through challenges and those who aren't following God's laws are seeming like they prosper. This is what we have to keep in mind. It's just, it's just temporary. And it says God, you know, God is strong. Isaiah just going on in that. It says, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old, not the arm that cut Rahab apart are you and wounded the serpent, are you not? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? There's joy ahead. Look at, look at these next texts. So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We've been studying about crucibles, but sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And God is the one who comforts. Just going on Isaiah 51 verse 12. I'm just reading along. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? Here again, he's saying, don't be afraid of these people. Don't be afraid of those people that seem like they're, they're, causing you problems, they're causing you stress, they're causing you worries. Don't don't be afraid of them. They're going to come, they're going to go. But he's going to renew his covenant with his people and bring salvation by his own arm. 
Let's skip to Isaiah 52, starting at verse 9. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And going on a few verses later, and the low are going to be exalted. This is what it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Who is his arm? His arm is his servant, the strength. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his, his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. See, it says, just as many were astonished at you. So as much struggles as we go through, his visage was marred more than any man. So we have a companion with Christ. He has gone through what we've gone through. It says, you know, this is, you know, God's arm is mighty. When we talk about God's arm in in Psalm, it says, you have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So what is this arm? This arm that brings salvation, it's the bruised servant. So I'm going to read now in Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now see, this is the encouragement though. Here it is, Isaiah fifty-three eleven. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And what is in it for us? We are going to be united in that covenant. God is going to be able to renew that covenant with a people. This is Isaiah 54, 8. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. 
for this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would be no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. That's covenant. He made that covenant. He made that covenant with Noah that he wasn't going to send the flood, and now he's making a covenant again. The mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. This is promise. This is covenant language, and this is a promise of God. It says the Lord who has mercy on you. Of course, Jesus is going to sit as high priest and king. You know, in Matthew, quoting Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And in Hebrews, which is also quoting the Old Testament, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God, and he's this priest-king combination. That's what Melchizedek was, a priest and a king. He's a priest-king combination, and he is going to officiate as our high priest and bring us that, that salvation. We're going to be united, and then there's going to be peace. Isaiah 54, 11, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and, sh and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. You know, some people think, oh, the Jews are going back to Israel and they're going to bring in this, this holy city. And But does this sound like anything on the earth right now? You can just go out in peace. Are the people in Israel right now living in peace, surrounded by enemies? This is talking about the new earth. This is talking about the prize at the end. And, and surely this is what gave Jesus strength to endure. And this is what should give us strength, this this picture, this beautiful picture, any trauma or hardships or crucibles that, if you want to call them that, we, that we experience here, they should all be weighed against this, this end, this glorious, beautiful end, and all that God has gone through, which is more than we've, he's gone through all the suffering that we've each gone through. All that he's gone through to bring us his salvation. And this is what should give us encouragement and just, and and put all these things in perspective so that our hardships today, we know they're temporary. We know this life is temporary. It should give us strength to carry on. So I think we, we should follow Christ as our example, both in his life, in what the things he was focused on, even as a child, all the beauty in nature and everything, and into death. I'm willing to die for us, for what is right for, you know, people that were persecuting him because the world hated him as it will hate anyone who follows him. There's no doubt in my mind that he was seeing that bigger picture and that was giving him strength. And I think that we should be aided by seeing that bigger picture. And we, and we also have the scriptures and we have the New Testament as well. So we know what happens. Just think of all the people before they could see the picture too, but, but now we should have this bigger picture. I hope that this will encourage us and that hopefully when we think about crucibles, we're not 
thinking about all the hardships that we have to go through, but we're thinking about how to overcome them. And that by focusing on what's really important, by realizing this life is just temporary. I just had a friend from childhood practically pass away at an early age. And it just makes you realize how short life is and how some of these things are just not important. And we really should be focusing on what is lasting and what's going to last. And that's our role in God's kingdom. And, you know, as it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. They're added to you, but it doesn't say when they're added to you. I think that they're added to us now. I think I think that God gives us the peace and the things that we really need. And usually those things that we think we need are not the things that we actually need. So I hope that as we go forward, that these lessons will really give us encouragement that we don't have to be in this crucible. There's going to be trying times. There's, there's trying times right now in the world. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now and a lot of different areas of the world. People are suffering and there's likely more to come, but we can hold fast to, we know where our destination is and we know what's going to happen to this world. And we know that Things can get really bad as they did in Noah's time. So it says, as in the days of Noah. So we should just follow Christ's example and look to the beautiful and look to our end destination. Keep our eye focused on that. So it's been nice to go through these lessons with you this quarter, and we'll look forward to next quarter. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.